Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Character and Smallman Podcast on 101 ESPN. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. It's 7 o'clock. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. A lot coming up today on the show. Going to talk to former Cardinal pitcher Bobby Witt. He was with the club in 1998. You'll remember him mostly for his days with the Rangers. He's an agent now, but he's going to reflect on the 1998 Cardinal season and the home run chase. We're going to talk to Darren Pang, head into the Blues booth in the 8 o'clock hour. And then in the 9 o'clock hour, one of our favorites, former Cardinal GM Walt Jockety will join us and talk about the trade the Cardinals made as we approach Long Gone Summer, the documentary about McGuire and Sosa in the summer of 1998. Michelle Smallman, good morning. How are you? I'm well, Randy. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing okay. Uh, played some bad golf yesterday. So. <laughs> you know, even if you play bad golf, it's still a good day. I'm driving on the cart at Fox Run, approaching the 14th hole, and it popped into my mind. I said, every problem that I have is a first world problem. It's, I, I really, if, if I hit a bad shot, I should not get mad because there are such horrible things happening in our country. And here I am complaining about hitting a bad golf shot. That so, is so zen of you, Randy. It was. I, and I can, I'm turning the corner towards the, uh, the, the 14th hole. And I said, man, I really shouldn't be. I, I was. I was stressed. I was upset. I was tight because <laughs> I was playing bad golf, and I'm thinking this is stupid. Once you freed your mind from that, did you play better? I played a lot better. It was wow. unbelievable. You know, I during the first month of quarantine, life was very erratic and stressful. I think for a lot of people, and I felt like I was mentally losing it. And so I started this class, this Yale class called the Science of Wellbeing. And one of the things that you do in the class, basically, what the class does is it gives you data on how unhappy America is as a country and it gives you action actionable things you can do in your life to make yourself happier and one of the things that you do is you do a gratitude journal and every day but first thing you do when you wake up you say three things you're grateful for and then right before you go to bed and you write three things that you're grateful that were amazing that happened that day and that has really shifted my perspective because when I wake up and I say okay I had a warm bed I have I have a meal uh, you know, I have a family that loves me. It really sets the the mood for the day that any of this other, these small, minute things that could derail you, it, it's not worth it to get upset about. And so to your point, when you thought, wow, I'm really grateful just to be outside and playing golf, mm-hmm. and there's so many other terrible things going on in the world, it does free your mind and, and allow you to be a little loose and a little happier. And both my wife, Joan, and my daughter, Katie, I told them about you using that class, and it's a free class online it's through amazing. Yale. And... 
it's a good thing to do. It, if you want to free your mind, if you want to be more grateful for life, that's a good thing to do if you have that ability. Well, and I think in the midst of a pandemic and in the midst of everything that's happening with you know race relations in our country, getting a little positivity and a little happiness in your day is well, not a bad thing. You talk about a guy who's stressed. How about Tom Ricketts, the owner <laughs> of the Cubs, who says the scale of baseball losses across the league is biblical. He said the timing of the work stoppage, the inability to play was right before the season started. We're looking at 30 teams with zero revenue to cover the losses. All teams have gone out and borrowed. There's no other way to do it in the short run. In the long run, we may be able to sell equity to cover some of our losses, but that's in the long run. Who would invest at the moment? Well, that's cute. I feel so bad for the guy. Biblical. Mm -hmm. Of all the words that you could have chose to use, (laughs) you selected biblical. I don't think you're going to find that one in the Bible. And also, if you're the other owners, are you calling up Ricketts being like, really? Because if I'm the Players Association, Mm -hmm. you're telling me your losses are of a biblical proportion. Cool. Open up the books then. I I empathize with you if you're facing biblical losses. So just show, show me what you're dealing with and we'll come to the table and negotiate. Yeah, and like Tom Ricketts has ever spoken to a fan before, but he says, here's something I hope baseball fans understand. Most baseball owners don't take money out of their team. They raise all the revenue they can from tickets and media rights, and they take out their expenses, and they give all the money left to their GM to spend. Then how did you build that massive complex around Wrigley Field? Hmm. Good question, Randy. Also, in the article, he says 70% of the money that they generate is from ticket revenue, I believe, right? Really? How about all the other things that you built around Wrigley? You're going to tell me 70% of what you make, including your multi-billion dollar television deal. Yep. Your own TV network. Your own TV network. You have this massive compound around Wrigley, and you're going to sit there and say not only that you're facing biblical losses, but you expect everyone to believe that. 70% of your revenue is from ticket sales. I don't believe it. I don't believe it either. I don't believe it either. Now, negotiations such as they are continue, and Buster only made an interesting point about these negotiations and about the activities of the Major League Baseball Players Association and Major League Baseball. That they're not really negotiating. They just seem to be repackaging their ideas and then presenting them again, and they're not really working toward the middle ground. For example, on the owner's side, we initially heard about maybe a 50-50 revenue split, giving the players a chunk of money saying, this is what's available. The players indicated no, that wouldn't be acceptable. So then we got the sliding scale 82 game proposal. And then yesterday we heard about, well, you know what? Uh, if the 82 game's not acceptable, the sliding scale, we'll give you a 50 game schedule with this same chunk of money. And on the player's side, all their proposals are that the players would get full prorated salary. Now, he's not wrong, but I go back to your comment right there. If you want to split revenue and you're losing a bunch of money, open the books and show the players. And here's the other point. And from a player's perspective, I get it because our station is losing a ton of money, has lost a ton of money during the course of the pandemic. And fortunately, we haven't been asked to take pay cuts. Obviously, we had massive cuts here. Baseball can't make massive cuts because everybody's under contract and they're protected by that player's association. But... At some point, 
that association if they really want to be a partnership the problem is neither side is willing to be a real partner owners in not opening the books players in not willing to share in the largesse but not in the losses of major league baseball and the losses are obvious because they're playing without fans yeah i think everybody involved and everyone on the outside can understand that there are major losses that are happening but if if you're Tom Ricketts and you come out and you make that statement that the losses are of a biblical proportion, to me that indicates that that you're in a really tough spot financially. And then my response to you is, okay, then why is there a faction of owners that's so comfortable financially that they're willing to forego the season? It, it doesn't add up. What you're saying does not add up with what we're seeing projected by the ownership group as a whole. And... One thing that we do know that would happen is if they do skip out on a season, if they don't play at all in 2020, the value of their franchises is going to drop. Right. They aren't going to be able to sell it what they were what next March. They wouldn't be able to sell it for what they were would have been able to sell it for last March. And it could be a dagger to the heart of Major League Baseball if they don't play this year. It could could have devastating impact. So if he wants to talk about losses of biblical proportions, maybe he should go talk to the guys that are willing to cancel this season. Great point. Do you think that the other owners read his comments and said, really, Tom? Yeah. I think so, too. I I would think... (laughs) The the intelligent ones and the the non-hardliners, and I really don't know who the hardliners are, but I, I look at the DeWitt family, and they have an understanding, I believe, of the necessity to have games this year in whatever form, because if you don't have games this year, and now we know that if they don't have games, it's going to be, be because of a financial disagreement. Yeah. You're going to piss people off, and they aren't going to. We got a lot of response yesterday. People aren't going to come back. And that number of people we heard from yesterday is going to grow every day and every day. It's going to be a force multiplier as this goes on. And so if you think that there is a group of people that's angry and disinterested in your product now because of these negotiations, come back to us in a year and see how how big that group of people is if you've missed a season. Now, the anti-MLB is clearly the NBA. ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski. The the Board of Governors are going to uh, pass... Uh, whatever the plan is that Adam Silver and the Players Association bring them, uh, they have zeroed in on a 22-team format. Likely the 16 teams that are in the playoff, uh, you know, one through eight in both conferences right now, and then six more teams, likely five in the Western Conference, one in the East. And the question is, why would owners be so staunchly behind Adam Silver when he brings this plan to them? What happens the rest of this season? How does it impact next year for teams? And I think that's a big part of when teams vote on Thursday, Scott, that I think there's a lot of teams who are willing to accept things that they don't particularly love about this bubble environment because they have to believe it's going to set the league up competition-wise for the future, financially for the future, get as much revenue is they can out of this campus environment in Orlando because there are big financial questions coming for the league next year. And again, you know, teams who know that they may not have a chance at winning a title this year, the league could look different next year. And and, and they're putting their trust in Adam Silver that this summer is something that builds into the league's future. And he's going to get the benefit of that doubt as teams are voting Thursday 
and this measure in all likelihood passes very easily. That's what leadership and great communication looks like. That's Adam Silver is a leader. Say what you want about the NBA. He is a leader to have all of the players and owners say, you know what? We know that you have the best interest of our product as a whole in mind when you're coming to these to when you come to the table with this proposal, it's going to benefit all of us in the long run to even say, hey, there's parts of this that I'm not comfortable with or that I don't like. But I trust you. I trust that you're not going to put us in a bad position and that this is going to be the best thing for basketball for the future says a lot. And it's so completely opposite from what we're seeing from Major League Baseball. And that's the most salient point is it appears as if baseball is only concerned about this year. Players, I want my money this year. Owners, I want you to take a cut this year. Whereas uh, Woj just said, owners are looking at how having basketball this year under whatever circumstances they have it can affect next year and the future and their ability to raise revenue in the NBA. But it also seems like with Adam Silver, owners, players, there's been a lot of talks. There's been a lot of communication. Mm -hmm. There's been a lot of collaboration to where Adam Silver spoke to the players and said, okay, what are your concerns? Here's what we're thinking. Ownership obviously was having communications with players and with the commissioner. It's so refreshing to see a league as popular as the NBA understand that there's more at stake than just this season and just the finances of this season. And I think when Adam Silver says to the players, hey, I have your health and safety as my number one concern, they believe him. He's genuine with those sentiments. They they went through a lot of different proposals and a lot of different avenues to figure out the safest possible way for the NBA to return and for these guys to be put in a position to succeed. And knowing his track record, even though there might be some players that aren't 100% comfortable with it, they say, hey, I defer to you. And that is leadership. That's Michelle Swalman. I'm Randy Carricker. Coming up, how much is the leadership of Rob Manfred affecting baseball on a negative level? That's next on 101 ESPN. Michelle and Randy with you on 101 ESPN. And as we hope that Major League Baseball comes back and you look at basketball being back, and by the way, they're talking about having the final game of their finals on October 12th. They've really moved forward with Orlando being their home base and with a playoff format and with the idea that players are going to get paid and with the idea that the future of the NBA is in good hands. But then you look at baseball and Rob Manfred, Michelle, I don't think there's any two ways about it. He is a a hand for the owners. He's not about the best interests of baseball. He's about the best interests of the owners. But when you deal with an iron fist and you're going against perhaps the strongest union in America, you're going to be looked at as somebody who is an antagonist. And I think that's a problem for a commissioner in the fans' eyes to have a guy who, and it's not just this, it's the rules changes, it's the pace of play. Mm -hmm. It it seems like what he's doing is acting strictly as a revenue generator for Major League Baseball rather than a guy who's looking in the interests of the fans at the game. Which certainly isn't the perspective you want the commissioner to be taking now when revenue shouldn't be the top priority and the viability of the game as a whole should be the top priority. And being a mediator and a bridge between these two parties should be the top priority. But I think Adam Silver is the outlier 
what other commissioners do fans really love or appreciate? Or players. Or players really appreciate. So while I, I look at Rob Manfred and I think, well, he's an upgrade over Bud Selig, I certainly don't think that he comes to the table wanting what's best for baseball as a whole. He certainly does have an, an agenda. If you go back and look at primarily the NFL, Pete Rozelle and the Paul Tagliabue, and there were, even though Bowie Kuhn did some goofy things and basically got hammered by the union, he was a guy that appeared to have the best interests of the sport in in mind. I think that's the biggest problem. I look at Adam Silver and I can say, okay, he clearly cares about the players and the owners, but mostly the fans. For, from our standpoint here in St. Louis, I know there's a lot of people that don't like what Gary Bettman has done, and obviously we had a couple of seasons that were either truncated or in the case of 05, we lost a Stanley Cup. But if you look at it from the perspective of a Blues fan or an Arizona Coyotes fan, he's done a lot to preserve teams in their markets. And I'm not positive, but I'm pretty darn sure that the Blues wouldn't be here if it weren't for Gary Bettman standing up for St. Louis and getting the sale to Tom Stillman done. You look at Goodell, there's no way that he has the best interest of the fans at heart. No. That should be what a commissioner's first and foremost job is. Look at it from a fan's perspective and put the thoughts and the the well-being of the fans at the forefront of your mind. Sure. And I also think that each commissioner is usually pro sport slash pro player and or pro owner. I think more of these leagues should take an independent approach and say, hey, I, I work for both parties and it's up to me to make sure that both parties are working together and both parties are satisfied because I think a lot of the, the contention that we see, if you had a leader and Rob Manfred that could go to the MLBPA and go to the owners and say, enough is enough. We need you guys to work together and have both sides listen to him. It would be beneficial. But I think players would look at Manfred and say, you don't have our best interests at heart. So it's it's not like they're going to listen to the commissioner and therefore be collaborative. And this is not even an opinion that I have. This is a fact that Cardinal players have a ton of respect for Bill DeWitt Jr. Oh, yeah. He's there. They know him. He communicates with them. When this new CBA was negotiated, Bill DeWitt was in charge of the negotiation back in 2010. This is about 2011, I guess. The end of this deal is about to come up. He is a guy that both the ownership and players respect. And listen to Buster Olney. He says he's the most powerful man in baseball, the godfather of baseball. I hope, and I don't know if he's working behind the scenes, but I hope that Bill DeWitt Jr. has a big voice in what's happening here. And if he doesn't, I believe he should go to Manfred and say, hey, do you want me to handle this for you? Because I think he has a whole lot more respect among the players, at least among players that are Cardinals or have played for the Cardinals or have friends that are Cardinals than Rob Manfred does. If he's the godfather of baseball, I would be surprised if he didn't have a big voice in this. I would too. And I would hope that he would, but he might just, he did hire Rob Manfred for the job. Let's be clear about this. Bud Seeley had Rob Manfred as his right-hand man, but the stamp of approval had to come from Mr. DeWitt. That's what Rob Manfred has paid for. He he might not want to undermine Manfred, but if ever there was a time where 
if the guy isn't getting the job done and you can say, okay, let's quietly switch over to me working the deal here. This is the time to do that. And I know Bill DeWitt III is listening, and I hope he calls his dad and says, <laughs> hey, here's what they said on Character and Smallman right. this morning. Because you have too many bozos like Tom Ricketts making stupid comments. You'll never see Bill DeWitt making a, never see Bill DeWitt making a comment like that. And he's a guy, because of the respect that he has among the ownership group, can walk in and say, okay, this is the w- way we need to do this, guys. We've been playing hardball, but we need to get the game on the field. This is the most important thing. I hope that Bill DeWitt Jr., I know he understands that, but I hope he's willing to maybe pull the rug out. That's not a good term for it. But he needs to kind of replace Rob Manfred in these negotiations and gently move him aside for the time being might be the best word for it. Just tap him out, say, hey, I got this one. Yeah. You know, right. I'm going to go ahead and slide in and take yeah. over. And, and, I, and by the way, because you have Andrew Miller on the player's side and such a, a great voice in Adam Wainwright mm-hmm. among the players, those guys are going to be able to go to the rest of the Players Association and say, hey, this guy is working in our best interests. He just wants to get us and baseball back, and we all want to play. I know a lot of people in St. Louis will complain about Mr. DeWitt and say, oh, he doesn't spend enough money. They have, you know, they take umbrage with certain things about the way that he runs his business. But I think when you take a step back and you look at the situation as a whole and you have Tom Ricketts saying things like that, that's not going to make the fan base trust you. That's certainly not something as a Cubs fan that you want to hear from your ownership group. And I think you can complain about certain aspects of the team, but also appreciate everything that that Bill DeWitt is and everything that he has done for St. Louis and the way that he continues to operate this franchise. Because it really is impressive to see the way that that he's built up St. Louis, the way that he runs the business, the way the players respect him, the 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 way the St. Louis Cardinals go about business. And we get a text, the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Would you ask the same questions of and apply the same standard to the MLBPA? Do they have the best interest of the fans at heart? The strongest union in America. That has a big role in this mess. Absolutely. And that union is, and we know that, they're the Players Association. Mm -hmm. They're all about the players. And Tony Clark was pliable and got the players as not as good a deal in the last CBA. And that's why you have Scott Boris making so much noise and being so strident in his views and so vocal about his views because the players didn't get a good deal last time. But my thought is, is that I know the players. Marvin Miller said, it's not my job to be friends with the owners. As a matter of fact, it's my job to contest the owners. We know that that Major League Baseball Players Association is 100% behind the players. I think, this is my opinion, the commissioner should be working in the best interests of everybody, players, owners, and fans. Agreed. Is that too much to ask? No, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so either. It's uh, Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Coming up, the great documentary Long Gone Summer is coming up on June 14th, a Sunday night on ESPN. And one of the players that got a front row view of Mark McGuire's assault of the all-time home run record was former Cardinal Bobby Witt. He came to the Cardinals during that season, and he joins us next on 101 ESPN. With Michelle Smallman, I'm Randy Carricker. Great to have you with us on 101 ESPN. The big 
Sosa and McGuire documentary is coming up June 14th that night on ESPN. And the Cardinals not only were a team that was watching Mark McGuire hit 70 home runs in 1998, but they were trying to get into the playoffs as well. They had made it in 96, missed in 97, and in 98 were trying to get back to the playoffs against Tony LaRusso. And we know they could hit, but they needed a pitch. And on June 23rd, they acquired Bobby Witt and he joined the club for the second half of the season. And Bobby, who's now an agent, joins us on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line on 101 ESPN with Carriker and Smallman. Bobby Witt, great to have you with us in St. Louis and on 101 ESPN. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate that. Well, we appreciate you taking some time with us. You knew what you were walking into on June 23rd. What was it like to get traded to the Cardinals and into McGuire Mania? Uh, it was... Uh, it, it, it's kind of hard to describe. I mean, just just the excitement and what was going on over there. And uh, I I previously got to play with Mark on the '84 USA team, uh, the Olympic team actually, and then in Oakland. So I knew him and I knew Tony. And uh, so there was a little bit of uh, a few of the other guys over there too. Uh, Dave Duncan, you know, he was my pitching coach in Oakland. So I, I had a little familiarity with those with those guys and uh, just getting over there, there was a lot of excitement, a lot of buzz, especially with what Mac was doing that year. Do you remember batting practice? Yes. Yes. <laughs> what was that um, like? I, one of, one of the batting practices that, that I remember we went into Shea and um, playing the Mets on the road. And, and um, I, I think there was probably at least, Probably already anywhere from twenty twenty five thousand people in the stands just to watch Mark's batting practice, and this was something that was becoming common when we went on the road to see, you know, to to play visiting teams. You would see people come out just to watch him take his batting practice, and usually when a guy gets in there, I think sometimes they're taking anywhere from seven to eight swings in that first round. Well, every single one of his first swings was a home run and then he proceeded in the next round i think to hit maybe five or six more so it was it, it was incredible i think you know at, at that time he had like you know 14 15 consecutive pitches he had hit out and usually guys are working on going the other way moving a runner over and that type of stuff he just got out and just said i'm just gonna mash right now and i think he ended up hitting maybe one or two that night wow bobby you had a front row seat to what mark mcguire was doing from a pitcher's perspective how did you view it when you would watch other pitchers attack him would you think oop that's a bad idea or just how did you guys as pitchers discuss the way other pitchers were approaching mark mcguire well, what what the thing that one of the things that I saw was that it was you know no matter how hard guys were throwing they weren't they weren't able to you know throw a fastball by him um, you know there were certain areas I think that you know with any time you're facing a big powerful guy like that I think you want to try to get in on his hands a little bit you know to try to jam um, you know crowd him a little bit so he can't get fully extended and use his power and then hopefully maybe the breaking ball away late to get him out but. Uh, but he was dialed in like I've never seen anybody before that year. And I know that uh, one of the one of the games that that come to my mind, we were in St. Louis, and um, Billy Wagner was pitching and coming in the closet, you know, throwing about a hundred miles an hour and just incredible stuff. And I believe we were down. I know we were down by a run, and it was in the ninth. And uh, somebody got on in front of Mark, I think, with a couple outs. And um, you know, this was this was something that everybody was looking at because you had the the power of Mark and you had the, you know, the velocity of Billy Wagner. So this is going to be a good matchup. And he ended up, I think the first pitch he blew it by him. And then the second pitch, he might've fouled it off. And then it was a ball. 
and uh, he still had McCowney try to throw a fastball by him. And I, I, it was at least 99, 100. I don't can't remember exactly what the velo was. But I know that it went in that third deck at the old stadium. And it was absolute. It looked like a golf ball. You know, it's just been hit. And it was just an absolute rocket. And uh, at that point, you're just sitting there, man. You just sit there and go, they can't even, you know, sneak a fastball by him at this point. So he was pretty locked in. And, um, you know, the, the rest of the year had continued to be like that. Bobby Witt, former Cardinal pitcher with us on 101 ESPN. He's an agent now. Uh, Bobby, obviously you, like other baseball players, you're day-to-day creatures. And I talk to a lot of players who you get to July and August and don't even pay attention to what the standings are. In September you do. But what about that home run chase? Were players paying attention to McGuire versus Sosa? I think so, absolutely. It was, uh, I know, I know as a teammate, uh, of, of Max and, and just what was going on. Absolutely. You know, every day I think people were trying to figure out and, you know, there was word being spread that right after the game, I think, you know, if Sammy had hit one, you know, and then, you know, you know, you're just sitting and watching and seeing what was going to happen that night. Hopefully Mark was going to take the lead and, you know, you're pulling for him. I mean, and uh, wanting him to go out there and do this thing. And it, it, the thing is, is that, you know, it just, it really didn't matter the opponent at the time, especially during the end. It was just a matter of, you know, people coming out wanting to see this, wanting to see him, you know, have that opportunity to get a shot and break it. And um, it was just an incredible, incredible buzz for baseball. It was amazing. One thing that I learned during those years that he was here, 97 through 01, and Bobby, you played 16 years, so you know better than I. The, the best judges of people are the clubhouse guys. And the clubhouse guys adored Mark McGuire. said he was a great teammate. And you got that chance to spend not only the time with him here, but before that. Uh, what was your read on him under all the pressure that he was? How, how was he as a teammate that year? Oh, he was great. I mean, he was doing, he was doing things that, you know, you just didn't expect. I mean, there was, it, what he would do is, I think when he broke the National League record, um, he was getting, like when they would rub up the baseballs, the umpires before the game, there were so many balls that they would rub up. He was he was taking the balls that weren't used in that game and, and actually pers- you know, personalizing a ball to each player um, that, that was on the team that year and putting it in their locker and just doing little things like that. And anytime, you know, he was just getting inundated with autograph requests and things like that, but you never saw him you know, if he didn't hit him, you know, I, I think Mac was still... Was- Think about the pressure that he has during oh, yeah. the games, not only to hit the home runs, but then to give the fans there a show during batting practice. And then he still has the the time and the the mental capacity to be a great teammate too. Yeah. I I just don't know how people handle pre- pressure like that. Not only on the field, but the media pressure that comes with it. It's it takes a different sort of mental DNA to be able to be yeah. that locked in at a time like that. And we're going to talk to him in the next week or so. It, he he could make it difficult on us, and I got it, and I get it, but. When you talk to all of the people that were on that team, he really was a good teammate. And throughout, he would take all the guys out. He was making a lot of money, took everybody out for dinner, had team dinners and stuff like that. And we'll talk to Walt Jockety about that at 930 as well. Coming up, though, we've got Take It or Leave It. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Teoli is next on 101 ESPN. Take it or leave it. Give us your feedback now by texting 65780. It's Take It or Leave It with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. We do 
appreciate your text to the Air Comfort Service text line, 65780. Colin Surrey is wearing his Wisconsin Badgers <laughs> sweatshirt today, the uh, the old Badgers hoodie. On Wisconsin, on Wisconsin, grand old Badgers day. I love Wisconsin. It's great. I'm a big, big Wisconsin fan. You know, my grandpa always gets confused. He thinks I'm wearing a Wash U sweatshirt when I have this on mm. because it's kind of the it's dark green yeah. and then it's got the old school Wash UW. Right. But it is Wisconsin. I'm a huge Wisconsin guy. It's really, really just wonderful to hear on Wisconsin from the from the lips of Randy Carriker. My dad <laughs> attended the University of Wisconsin and his parents lived within walking distance less than a mile from the campus. Oh, so when so we cool. would visit my grandparents when I was a kid, we would just walk over to the campus and hang out on the campus. It was very cool. How fun. And then a few years ago, went to the Wisconsin-Michigan game. I, oh. I, it had been a long time since I had been... My dad always told me that Camp Randall was named after me. <laughs> <laughs> so it was cool to go to Camp Randall Stadium. Congratulations, Randy. I yeah. didn't realize yeah, that you thanks. had so much clout in Wisconsin. No, obviously I'm an ally and I threw and through, but I always said if I had a kid and they wanted to go somewhere other than Illinois, I'd be like, mm, we got some problems here. After I went to Madison, I said if I ever have a and they want to go to Wisconsin, I am all for it. It's an amazing college town. A great place. And just the state of Wisconsin in general. Great yeah. lakes, great people, cheese curds. I mean, it's a great time. Oh, not cheese. Well, cheese curds when they're done. <laughs> not cheese curds when you go visit the factory, though. Oh, that's oh yeah, I haven't done that. I'm yeah. talking, you know, usually yeah, cheese, finished cheese curds fried up. Yeah. A little ranch I can inside. tell you from firsthand experience as a kid, Ugh. going to the cheese factory, you, you can't, whatever you've had that day, you can't hold it down. Do you think if you work at a cheese factory, even though you have access to great cheese, that it's, it smells so badly that you're just turned off forever? I think you probably get hardened to it. And, and <laughs> I do think... Cheese pun, Randy? Yeah. <laughs> and if you live in Wisconsin, you have to eat cheese. You have, I don't know if this is still the case. Wisconsin, not too long ago, had the most bars per capita of any of the 50 states in the country. Is that still the case, Colin? They love their beer. Yeah. They mm-hmm. are, they're big on their alcohol in Wisconsin. Cheese... And then you can mix some milk in there, too. I'm more of a milk guy than alcohol. It's a dairy stick. That's right. All right, you guys. A recent study shows that dropping F-bombs can actually increase a person's pain threshold and that using substitutes for the word do not have the same result. A properly placed F-bomb helps you personally get through difficult situations. Take it or leave it. I wish we had a bleep because I would say I bleep and take it. Sometimes you just need an F-bomb, Randy. I told you about the first 13 holes yesterday. (laughs) Yeah, uh, there were a lot of well-placed F-bombs that made me feel a lot better. You know, sometimes you just have to let it fly. (laughs) You know, it's obviously situational. You you don't want to do it sometimes in mixed company. But if you're having a rough day and you just drop an F-bomb, it just feels good sometimes. And to this study, if you have bare feet and you run your toe into the leg on your coffee table, what else are you going to say? Ouch. <laughs> Doesn't have the same effect as no. the study would show. No. And you know, even though you're the one saying the F-bomb, it just kind of feels like everybody's in it together. Right. You know, you're, like the universe understands that you're bummed out and upset. <laughs> tell you. As Danny Mac would say, let it rip, baby. <laughs> <laughs> let it rip, baby. With the NBA looking to possibly end their season in mid-October, it begs the question of when next season will begin. Starting next NBA season on Christmas is a no-brainer, as this has been the unofficial start to the NBA season for years. Take it or leave it. I'm going to leave that because they want to get back into that 82-game realm. I'm thinking that they'll probably be like the NHL. And maybe take a month off for free agency. I don't know when they'll do a draft in the NBA. 
But my guess would be that they'll probably start up around mid-November, the week before Thanksgiving, so that they can get a lot more games in. They're like everybody else. They want to play as many games as possible. I'm going to take it because I don't pay attention to the NBA until at least Christmas anyway. So I And I think if you're the NBA, yes, I hear what you're saying about trying to get as many games in, but... This is about, two getting fans engaged, and everyone's locked in to the Christmas games anyway, mm-hmm. at least if you're a basketball fan you are. And what a better way to make it a big deal and, and start the season on Christmas. I just I think there's going to have to be some adjustments schedule-wise for every league moving forward, obviously, because everything's been pushed back. And why not switch it up and make it a, a spectacle? You Here's know? the other thing. I, I don't know if you want to have the teams that miss the playoffs. There are eight of them because you're going to have a 22-team playoff, go from March to the end of December without ever playing a game. That's a good point. It was reported earlier this week that Notre Dame and Navy's matchup in Ireland this season has been canceled, and the game will now be held in Annapolis at the Naval Academy. This goes along with all of the NFL's international games being canceled this year as well. This is a blessing in disguise for the sport of football. International games are a waste of everyone's time. Take it or leave it. I'm going to take it. It's great for TV because then you can have all these features on here's what we did when we're in Dublin and, you know, here's... Notre Dame offensive coordinator Tommy Reese at this great spot in Dublin. It's good for TV, but if your intent is to grow the game of football internationally, we've been having how many international games over the past decade? How how many international games have we had and what kind of growth have you really seen mm-hmm. American football take on an international stage? And by the way, why send the U.S. Navy team over to Ireland. I, I'm glad that they're playing it on the naval campus. I think you, if Notre Dame is going to play an international game, I think it should be a team that's not funded by the U.S. Navy. I think maybe another team to send over there. Not that it's a bad thing to have those kids, those naval officers, get the experience of Dublin. Just seems like maybe another team rather than the U.S. Navy because in Ireland, the Fighting Irish are going to be a decided favorite and well it would be anyway <laughs> of the fans and i kind of hope that navy beats them at navy mm. i'm kind of a pseudo notre dame supporter i have a lot of friends i'm, I'm a, yeah pseudo is a good word for it i am too but family it, it's always fun when notre dame loses to one of the academies <laughs> i also support though navy let's just oh. <laughs> make that clear i also support the u.s navy <laughs> see this is so tricky you can't say anything you can't even say i'm gonna cheer for notre dame without getting 20 tweets saying oh so you don't support the u.s naval academy it's just you can't say anything it, gosh <laughs> all right you guys between cupcakes cookies and brownies cupcakes take the number one spot take it or leave it michelle if <laughs> It comes down to it, and I only get one of the three for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. I'm going with cookies. That being said, the uh, the just heated, just made warm brownie with vanilla ice cream on top, really hard to beat. Mm-hmm. I think in my power rankings here, I would have cupcakes, which I adore, by the way, at the bottom of those three. Yeah, let's make it very clear. I am team cupcakes, cookies, and brownies. Mm-hmm. I'm going all three. But for the sake of the power rankings, I'm with you, Randy. I'm going cupcakes number three. Now, I know what I'm about to say. Everyone's going to 
to have a rebuttal. Cupcakes are difficult to eat. They are difficult to eat. If you want to take a bite, you're going to inevitably have too much of the cupcake or too much frosting. And the rebuttal to that is you cut it in half, you flip the top over, and you make it into a sandwich. <laughs> that is messy, and it's still inevitably you're going to get a bigger frosting bite a lot of times than you are an actual cupcake bite. Now, cookies can be dry. And if, they can. If a warm chocolate chip cookie is done right, I think that it blows brownies out of the water. But sometimes the cookie's going to be a little overdone, or they can be a little too crispy for my liking. Same thing with brownies. Sometimes they're too chocolatey. But I think if we're going power rankings, I'm going cookies, brownies, and thin cupcakes. And let me make one qualifier here. The carrot cake cupcake at Jilly's is pretty unbelievable. Oof. Every cupcake from Jilly's is pretty they're unbelievable. They're really good, yeah. Uh, if I'm thinking about these, though, have you ever had when? Have you ever been? I know you've been to New York. Did you ever have the Levain, the Levain cookies from New York City? No. It's essentially a brick of chocolate chip cookie, and it's perfectly crispy on the outside, and then when you break it open, it's perfectly gooey on the inside. Mm. I would take that over any other cupcake, brownie, anything ever. Good thought. And one more quick one from the 636 on the Air Comfort Service text line. AOSU is better than Wisconsin. The Ohio State University? A Ohio State University. Okay. <laughs> because there's also Oklahoma State. So I, yes. I didn't know if it was the A, then Ohio. A Oklahoma State. Okay. I A appreciate Ohio. that diss. A Ohio State University. Or wouldn't it be N? Well, in terms of quality of football program, you have to say yes. But in terms of overall quality of life, the city, mm-hmm. the the fans, the state, I think I, that I, I would have to go with Wisconsin over Ohio. Yes. I've been to Columbus and Madison, both for big football games, and I don't even think it's a debate. I think Madison blows Columbus out of the water. So we're Team Badger here. <laughs> Obviously. No about it. Thanks, Colin. Thank you. And thanks for your text to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Michelle and Randy with you. And our fresh take is next on Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. That was the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.